right, well, thank you, Joel and Melinda. Welcome to Living Hope Church. Uh, welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, we're so glad you're here today. Today we're continuing in our series, Summer in the Psalms, and we will be in Psalm 91 if you would like to head that direction in your Bible. Uh, in a sermon on Psalm 91, Pastor Juan Carlos Ortiz shared a conversation he had with a trapeze artist. And in the conversation, he asked the trapeze artist if there was a net underneath during their stunts. In the conversation, uh, he admitted that they always have an, a net underneath them. And this seems like wisdom, right? Because the net keeps the trapeze artist from breaking their neck and dying. But the reason for the net went beyond the obvious. The artist continued, the net not only saves us, but the net itself keeps us from falling. He said, imagine if there was no net. We would be so nervous that we would be more likely to miss and fall. If there was not a net, we would not dare to do some of the things we do. But because there is a net, we dare to make two, three, sometimes four turns thanks to the net. He said the net allows us to do what we do. In the same way, the Bible contains some incredible promises about the protection God provides in his sovereignty. And it's this sovereignty, this belief that God holds all things in his hands and the protection of God that frees the Christian to live. It's the promise of forgiveness of eternity that frees the Christian to live this life not for themselves, but for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. For the Christian, our security comes not in a net, not in wealth, not in comfort, not in ease, not in perceived protection by man. But for the Christian, our security rests in the God of the universe uh, who is sovereign in control of it over it all. And that's what we're going to read about today in Psalm 91 and study this morning. Martin Luther called Psalm 91 the sparkling jewel of the Psalter. Unlike some of the other psalms we've looked at in this series, we don't know who wrote Psalm 91. We don't know the occasion for writing it. But what we do know is that its promises have been beloved by Christians for thousands of years as they have sought peace in its words. But as we read Psalm 91, there are likely some questions that are going to come to your mind. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try and answer those questions by looking at Psalm 91 within the broader context of the Bible. And so that's kind of where we're going to go uh, today. So we're going to read Psalm 91, we're going to kind of break it down, and then we're going to look at it within the context of the Scriptures. So Psalm 91, starting in verse 1, it reads, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snail, snare and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will, will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this beautiful uh, psalm that we just read. 
God, we thank you for the promises that it contains. And God, I pray that as we look at this psalm and as we look at it within the, the context of the Bible and the context of your promises, Lord, that we would see the depth of the promises laid out before us. Promises of eternal life, promises uh, of good, Lord. And God, that you would open our eyes to areas where we might not be trusting you. That you would give us the courage to turn to you and give all areas of our life to you. And God, I pray if there is someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that hasn't experienced your forgiveness and your goodness and your eternal life, that today might be the day that they trust you. God, I just pray that you would uh, just help me to speak clearly, Lord, and that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you have for us. It's your name we pray. Amen. So again, what we're going we're gonna to do today is we're going to kind of start by walking through this psalm and just trying to unpack some of the imagery and the principles of this psalm. And then after we do that, we're going to try and understand the promises of God's protection within the context of the Bible and what they mean for you and I today. So we'll start in verse 1. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And see, in these first two verses, we see the intimacy, the, the closeness of the writer's relationship with God. Protection is found in the shadow of the Almighty. To, to find protection in the shadow, you have to be close to that which is providing the shadow. Being at 6,000 feet in altitude, we know the importance of shadows in the summer. The sun here and its heat can be intense in the summer. It can be miserable at times, but being in the shadow, in the shadow limits that intensity. The way our house is situated, our backyard is in the shadow of the house in the morning and then in the shadow of the fence in the evening. But from about 2 to 5 in the afternoon, the heat from the sun is so intense, it's not pleasant in the backyard. The shadow provides relief. It provides protection from the sun. The writer of this psalm, he, they understood this as they lived in the desert of the Middle East. Shadows were hard to find, but when you found one, you clung to it. And so to be in the shadow of God means to cling to him. And, and when we do so, we stand inside the protection of God, of his shadow, and it provides comfort, peace, and relief from the troubles of this world. I think, I think of the image of like a toddler who clings to his mom or dad's leg when the, legs when they go someplace new or a new person comes into the home. You know what I'm talking about where they kind of like cling to the leg and they kind of peek around to try to analyze the situation and to figure out what's going on? That's the image we get here in verse 1. And then in verse 2, the writer says, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That's a pretty amazing and bold statement there, to refer to the God of the universe as my. We only call people my that we are very close to. I don't introduce people as my unless they are my children or my spouse or my parent or my best friend. And so the writer of this psalm stands in the shadow of God and so loves God that they feel comfortable referring to him as my refuge, my fortress, my God. Can you say for yourself, God is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust? Does your life declare that? Or is it something else that is your refuge, your fortress, your God? Does your life declare that God is those things? Or is it culture, comfort, drink that is your refuge? Is it wealth and pride that is your fortress? And is it you yourself that is your God? Verse 3, he says, Surely he will save you from the fowler's snail, snare, I can't say that word, snare, and from deadly pestilence. Here the writer says God's going to save him from those that are trying to hurt him, from the fowler's snare as well as disease and disaster. 
Verse 4, he says, he will cover you with, the, with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. What an amazing image. Uh, this makes me think of like the emperor penguins down in Antarctica. I think they were highlighting that movie, The March of Penguins, and we might have a picture of them. But when a mom and dad penguin have their young, they trade off holding the newborn penguin under a flap of skin on the top of their feet. And while they do that, the other walks some 50, 60, 70 miles to get food. A journey that takes months. And during that time, whoever's on baby duty has to stand huddled up with hundreds of other penguins day and night. In temperatures 80, 100 degrees below zero with winds uh, that are greater than Green River. And they shelter and they protect the baby penguins so that they don't feel the pain, the pressures, the burdens of the world around them. This is similar to what God's promising. He says, I'll hide you in me and protect you from the threats that surround you. Verse 5. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrows that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. One of the interesting things about this uh, this verse here is is the number ten thousand. 10,000 was the highest number that they record uh, in their culture. And so this is the number that, like, kids make up, like 100,000 bazillion, you know. It's some number. We don't know what it means, but it's a big number. And so 10,000 is, is the biggest number they could imagine. And you think about 10,000. 10,000 is about almost the population of Green River. They say, imagine a disease runs rampant and everyone in the city is wiped out but you. That's the image we're getting. And if that happened, if everyone in our city was wiped out but you, scientists from around the world would come and they'd try to figure out what was different about you. And the psalmist says when they studied your life, they would say, find that what saved you was that you were in the shadow of God and you stood beneath his wings. Verse 8, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. No harm, the psalmist says. Other versions say no evil, no disaster will even come near to you when you're in the shadow of God's wing. Verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. I hear things are getting a little bit over the top, right? The psalmist says you won't even stub your toe on a rock if you're under his wing. Verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the the great lion and the serpent. At this point, like, he's almost like testing God. You will walk on the lion and the cobra, and they will not harm you. And then in verse 14, it shifts, and God begins to speak. Verse 14 says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. This word here for love means zeal. It means passion. It means deep longing. One commentator said this is the difference between loving someone and being in love with someone. God says, because this person is totally in love with me, because I am their refuge, their fortress, their confidence, I will deliver them. Verse 15, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is such an amazing psalm, just full of amazing imagery and promises. And you, when you read this psalm, it sounds like it is saying that if you trust God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. And on the flip side, it seems to say that if something bad happens to you, then you must not be fully following and trusting God. But if that's the case, then I don't know about you, but it doesn't line up with my life experience and my reality. 
So that's what we're going to try and wrestle with and understand the rest of this sermon. Because the reality is not only does that not line up with my reality and my experience, it also doesn't on the surface seem to line up with the rest of Scripture. If you're at all familiar with the book of Job, this is what his friends believed. And this is the wisdom that they continue to give Job throughout the book. Job's life fell apart, his crops died, his family died, his wealth disappeared, and they said, well, you must be sinning for this to happen to you. You must not be following God. It's all on you that things are going wrong. Job had some great friends, didn't he? But at the end of the book of Job, God does not endorse his friend's advice, but instead God accuses them of speaking folly in Job's life. In John 16, Jesus doesn't promise his, fathers, his followers health and wealth, but instead he says, in this world you will have tribulation. Jesus promises us trial. He promises us tribulation. He promises us persecution. He says many will even die for his sake. Jesus says if you're experiencing difficulty and hardship, that's not a sign you're not following me, but instead it is often a sign that you are following me, that you are where I want you to be, and that you are living your life for me and my purposes as opposed to your own. You see, often our temptation in life is to Google and pull out a verse or a chapter from the Bible that fits what we want it to fit. And we make that our life verse without understanding it within the context of the Bible and God's promises. But when we do that, it does a couple of things. One, it leads to really bad theology and often false teachings. And secondly, it leaves us disappointed and confused. It often leaves us to leave God behind. That's the temptation with Psalm 91, to pull it out without understanding it within the context of the Bible. And then here, here's the real crazy thing about this psalm that illustrates the danger of not reading it within the context of the Bible and God's promises. In Matthew chapter 4, when Satan is tempting Jesus, he quotes Psalm 91. He says, Jesus, if you trust God, he will protect you. Doesn't the psalm say he will not even allow you to strike your foot on a rock to stub your toe? So surely you can throw yourself off this cliff. And Satan says, if God doesn't protect you, he's not keeping his word. Satan wants to confuse us. He wants us to twist the Bible and twist God's promises. He wants us to be disappointed, disenfranchised, and confused by God. Because when we are confused and frustrated with God, we often walk away from him and what he's called us to do. So what we want to see today is how God fulfills the promises of Psalm 91 in our lives. And we see that within the broader context of God's promises and the broader context of the Bible. So the question for us today is this, how does God fulfill the promises of Psalm 91 in our lives? If God is not promising health and wealth and ease and luxury and comfort when we follow him, then what is he promising and what does that look like? So let's do that. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father right before he would be arrested and eventually crucified for the sins of the world, for your sins and my sins. And in that prayer in verse 3, he says this, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus is saying that the essence, that our experience of eternal life here on earth is knowing God and Jesus who sent him. So if eternal life is knowing God and making him known as the chief pursuit of this life, if it is the fulfillment of life, then that means that any pain, any harm, any difficulty that increases our knowledge and trust in God is not really harm but instead is a help from an eternal perspective. So our first point is this, Psalm 91 is fulfilled in God's promise of eternal life. We see the psalmist allude to this in verse 15. If you read verse 15, he says, I will be with him in trouble. 
Notice it does not say we will never be in trouble. But instead, that God will be with us in the midst of trouble. This is a clue that God doesn't, just doesn't promise us just roses and sunshine in this life. But instead, we will face trouble, and in the midst of trouble, he will be with us. The psalmist is anticipating for, that many, for many, if not all, the fulfillment of this psalm will not always be literal or immediate in this lifetime. But it will be fulfilled in eternity when there will be no more pain, no more tears, and no more heartache. But in this life, we all know this. There are times that we face disease, that we face difficulty, that we face adversity, that we face opposition. And God uses those things to grow us in our knowledge of Him, to grow us in our dependency on Him, and to grow us in our faith in Him. So rather than a promise to avoid all pain in this life, Psalm 91, in the context of the Bible and referenced in verse 15, is a promise that we will face the fire, that we will face trial, but Jesus will walk through it with us. And in that, our faith, our trust, our knowledge will be deepened. In Luke 21, Jesus says this. He says, you will be, be, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, yet not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. The ESV says, by your endurance you will gain your lives. Jesus is saying, there is more than this life here on earth. There is more than the pursuits of this world. Jesus says, stand with me, take on the trials for me, and I will be with you. And I will protect you as you walk through it. And as you walk with me, as you suffer for me, as you follow me, stand firm and you will win life. Because there is more to life than the pursuits of this world. Jesus says, trust me, endure with me, and you will inherit eternal life as you believe in me. Jesus says, trust me, endure with me, and you will have the joy of being my bearer of good news and seeing others experience the promise, the hope of eternal life. Jesus says, eternal life in me is greater, it is deeper, it is better than merely avoiding pain in this world. Eternal life is better than the cheap comfort and ease this world has to offer. The greatest example of this uh, from my life is my granddad. My granddad suffered and eventually lost his life to prostate cancer after a, a four or five year battle. It was the greatest suffering, the greatest pain, the greatest battle of his life here on earth. But through that process and through seeing my granddad suffer yet walk with Jesus, my brother came to saving faith in Jesus and experienced his promise of eternal life. And I'll never forget the Sunday that my granddad riddled by cancer almost unrecognizable physically from his pre-cancer self, baptized my brother. And my brother shared his testimonies we often do before baptism, and then my granddad talked. And knowing his time was limited here on earth, knowing what cancer had taken from him, he declared before our church that the cancer was worth it because his grandson had experienced eternal life. He had seen Psalm 91 fulfilled, not in a miracle deliverance from cancer and from death. But he had saw deliverance in his own security of eternal life and in the eternal life received by his grandson. And he declared it all worth it. Now, that's, that's a dramatic story, I know. But we see this fulfilled daily when we suffer, trusting that God is using it to grow us in our understanding of him of eternal life, and he is using our suffering to draw our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends to eternal life in him. God is using your difficulties, your challenges at work to grow you and draw others to eternal life in him. 
God can use your medical challenges to grow you and draw others to eternal life in him. God can use your financial challenges to grow your knowledge and faith in him and to lead others to eternal life in him. God can use your stub toe, your discomfort, your area of frustration, your pestilence to grow your knowledge of him and lead others to eternal life in him. Don't listen to the Job-like friends in your life or the voices in your head that say if life is difficult, you should give up. That you should run, that, you should be doing, that you're doing something wrong. But instead, trust those areas to God and trust that he is using them to grow your knowledge of him and lead others to eternal life in him. Or maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. There's a real possibility that he is using the pain, the trial, the hardship, the difficulty you are in right now to draw you to him and to eternal life in him, which is more valuable than anything this world has to offer. If that's you, would you open your heart and your mind to God's incredible love for you? Would you open your heart and your mind to the reality that he is pursuing you in his love, that he desires to be your God, your Savior, and your protector. God walks through the challenges of this life, using them to grow us in our knowledge of him, to lead us to eternal life, and to lead others to eternal life in him. All right, Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 is a verse that many Christians know. It's one that we've talked about before. But it reads this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this is one of those, another one of those verses, like Psalm 91, that when taken out of the context of Scripture, can lead to some false teachings and understanding. But it's an incredible promise that sheds light to Psalm 91. So our next point is this. Psalm 91 is fulfilled in God's promise of good. A few months ago, we preached a whole sermon on Romans 8.28 and God's promise of good. If you'd like to go back and hear more about that, go check that out on our, our website or Apple Podcasts. But what we see in Romans 8.28 is that God promises to work all things together for good. Now this does not mean that bad things are really good things in disguise. What this means is that God takes genuinely bad, genuinely evil things intended to harm us, and he exercises his power over them so that we and the kingdom are better off for them happening. Pastor J.D. Greer said it this way. He says, it means that from the vantage point of eternity... We will be able to see that how God exercised his power in such a perfect way that all the evil that happened will in the end only lead to greater glory for God and greater joy for us. Tim Keller called this the, this the ultimate defeat of evil. That God takes all the schemes of Satan, all the evil deeds intended for harm, and he uses them for good. Keller says all evil deeds ultimately accomplish the reverse of what their authors intended. In the context of scripture, we see this most clearly in the cross. At the cross, Satan and mankind did their worst, killing the Son of God who was completely innocent. And yet God took that and he turned it into our salvation, into the hope of the world. And if God could take the worst thing ever done and turn it to the best thing, he could surely take whatever it is we are walking through and turn it to good. And we get to see this uh, with the perspective of time. We see glimpses of this in our life. And the promise is that with the perspective of eternity, we will see this completely fulfilled. So life won't always be good, it won't always be easy, but God will use it all for our good and his glory. I love Martin Luther's quote on this. He said, I credit the devil, the pope, and all of my other persecutors with, the, with my deep knowledge of the word. Through the devil's raging, they have turned me into a pretty good preacher, driving me into the gospel depths I never would have reached without their afflictions. I love that quote for two reasons. Number, number one, it reminds me of the early 90s country song by Sawyer Brown called Thank God for You. 
Uh, if you know that song, you'll be humming it all day. And secondly, it illustrates how God so often uses our afflictions, our sufferings, our challenges, not to defeat us, not to hurt us, but God in his wisdom and power takes what was meant to harm us and he uses it for our good and his glory. In times of challenges, in times of challenges, not times of comfort, and it's in times of challenges, not times of comfort and ease that we grow in our dependency on God and grow in our love for him and our faith in him. That's why throughout church history and throughout the, the world today, the gospel, the hope of Jesus is spreading in areas of persecution, not in areas of comfort and ease. Persecution, hardship, difficulty grows in us a dependency on God that cannot be found in the comfort and ease of this world. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, wrote, Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while, re while really it is finding its place in him. Often our natural tendency when things get hard is to run to comfort, to ease. We have to fight that. Comfort, ease, a life without challenges is not the goal of this world. It's not the goal of this life. The goal is a life, a life wholly devoted to God and to his mission of making him known. That kind of love, that kind of dependency, that kind of commitment to God is not found in ease, but it is found as God walks through the fire with us. So in Psalm 91, is fulfilled in God's promise to use our pain to lead us and others to eternal life. It is fulfilled in God's promise of good. And thirdly, it is fulfilled in the resurrection. This kind of goes along with point one, but we'll expound upon it. In Revelation 21, John's given a glimpse of heaven. He describes it in verse 4 in this way. John writes, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. For the Christian, Psalm 91 is literally fulfilled in the resurrection in eternity. The future that awaits us will have no more tears, no more fear, no more death, no more mourning, no more goodbyes, no more affliction, and no more heartache. It is an eternity that Psalm 91 will find its literal fulfillment. fulfillment. And because of that, we can walk through this life longing and looking forward to that day, knowing that God is using everything in this life for His good and His glory. Greer said it like this, Jesus' resurrection is the promise of what is to come for us. A resurrection in which every phrase of Psalm 91 will be literally true. And that promise is supposed to redefine how we see everything on earth. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 said it like this. He said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says that as Christians, we fix our eyes not on the troubles of this world, not on the problems at work, not on the problems in our families, not on the problems in our communities, but instead we fix our eyes on Jesus and his promise of eternity. This life is temporary. The troubles of this life are temporary, so we live in the reality of eternity. We live knowing that God is using these challenges to grow us and to advance his purposes. Don't give up when life is hard. Don't run from God when the challenges seem too great, but instead run to him and his glory and his purposes. So what, what does that look like practically to run to Jesus in the midst of trial? It means opening your Bible and reading with discipline no matter the circumstances and expecting God to meet you even when you don't feel like it. 
It means stopping to pray and talk to God about the problems instead of just ranting to a friend or on social media. It means memorizing scripture and letting scripture guide you and give you strength. It means continuing to do the good work God has called you to even when things seem impossible and you're worn out. I love Galatians 6.9. Paul says in Galatians 6.9, Don't grow tired or weary of doing good, for at just the right time we will reap a harvest. Paul knows life is hard. He, is, he knows it's wearisome. He says, don't grow tired of doing good, but trust the results to God and trust that he is doing something great through you. We continue, running to God means trusting him and, and waiting on him for solutions, even when his timing isn't what you want. It looks like placing scriptures and markers of God's faithfulness to you around you daily to remind you of truth and encourage you in dark times. Cling to God when things get tough. Don't walk away from him and his purpose and his mission for your life, which is to love him and make him known to a lost and dying world. We walk through this life knowing that Jesus is alive, that he is victorious, and that heaven is real. In Psalm 56, David lays out the problems he is facing. People are turning against him. People are plotting to kill him. People are conspiring against him. Life is hard. Then he says, I will trust in God. I will not be afraid for what can mere mortals do to me. This is the perspective we as Christians are called to live with because we know the resurrection is real. We know that God one day will raise us to eternal life just as he raised Jesus from the grave. We know how the movie ends, so we must live with that perspective. Most of my childhood happened in the 90s. In the late 90s, there was a movie called The Sixth Sense. And it had a plot twist at the end of that movie that changed everything. If you've not seen it, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But when you know the truth revealed at the end, you can never watch the movie the same way again. It changes everything. You can't see the beginning the same way when you know the ending. In the same way, that's how we should live life. We see from the beginning, we live each and every day knowing that Jesus wins, that Jesus is alive, that eternity is secure, and that the schemes and plans of Satan and man are temporary and they are futile. That's how, God, that's how Paul could say in Romans 8, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Psalm 91 is literally fulfilled in eternity, and our life is secure because of the resurrection. We face the temporary trials of this day, living in the reality of our future. Last thing, we see Psalm 91 fulfilled in moments of deliverance in this life. Psalm 91 is primarily and ultimately fulfilled in the resurrection, in eternity, and in God's promise of good. But God in His grace gives us glimpses of this in this lifetime. In Psalm 27, David prays that, we would see, that he would see God's deliverance in the land of the living, on this side of eternity. And there are times, and I would wager to guess, more times than we realize where God intervenes, where he delivers, where he protects us from harm in this life. Sometimes he does so in dramatic and miraculous ways. Sometimes he does so through the, the care and wisdom of mankind, of, of doctors and of hospitals. And sometimes he does so in the mundane without our recognition. But each of these times that God delivers is a foretaste of his ultimate deliverance that will come in eternity. Now again, this doesn't mean that God's always going to deliver us from difficulty, from challenges, from crisis. We've talked about that. 
But there are times that God intervenes in miraculous ways. And those are a foretaste, a prelude to the deliverance that is coming. Paul concludes his letter in 2 Timothy with this message. He says, at my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and he gave me strength. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul faced hardships we can't imagine. He faced trials, difficulty, character attacks, and threats on his life. And yet he experienced the strength of God through it all to press on and to continue to make him known. I love verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be, be glory forever and ever. Again, does this mean God's going to protect you from every difficulty, challenge, and hardship? No, I think we've covered that. But he will walk with you through it until he calls you home. This reminds me of a quote from uh, Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Huarani people of Ecuador. And he is famous for saying, I am immortal until my work on earth is done. That's what Paul is saying, what Psalm 91 promises. There will be painful chapters along the way, but the promise is God will sustain us until our work is done. And with the perspective of eternity, we will see he was working it all for good. Jim Elliott, who, who had that quote, died at the age of 20, 28 at the hands of the very people he was trying to reach with the gospel, with the, the hope of Jesus. Four other men died alongside him that day. One of those men was a man by the name of Nate Saint. And his son, Steve, has an incredible testimony of God's grace. Steve was a part of a group that went back to the Huarani people years later, and they ended up befriending them. In fact, he led to Jesus and baptized the very man who took his father's life. The man's name was Minkaye, and they adopted him into their family as their children's adoptive grandfather. He took the place of the man he had killed. It's the ultimate story of grace. And when Steve tells this story, he says this. He says, why is it that we insist that every chapter, why is it that we insist every chapter to be good when God promises that only in the last chapter he will make all the chapters make sense? We're not promised exclusively roses and candy bars in this life. We aren't promised that our lives will be easy, that they will be comfortable, that they will be absent of difficulty. But instead, what we are promised is in this life is that we will face trouble. And when we face it, God will be with us in it. And he will use that trouble for good. He will use that trouble to increase our knowledge and our faith in him. He will use that trouble to lead us and others to eternal life. And we will see our deliverance, the literal fulfillment of Psalm 91, one day in eternity. And all of these promises are the safety net. They are the protective cover that give us the freedom to persevere and to give of this life for God. In his glory. When life is hard, don't run to the world. Don't run to comfort and to ease, but instead run to Jesus and run to his mission of proclaiming his hope to a lost and dying world. So as we, as we reflect, first, if you're here and you are a Christian, you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, do you, do you trust God's promise of eternal life? His promises of good and of protection. Do you trust his promise of his presence are you trusting in yourself as your refuge? Are you pursuing God or are you pursuing personal comfort? 
Are you, pers- or are you pursuing your, your personal pursuits over everything else? If you're pursuing anything other than God, which I would wager to guess we all are, would you ask God to reveal those areas to you? As he does, would you repent and turn them over to him? And if you're here, you're watching online, and you're not a follower of Jesus, is your eternity secure? Have you allowed the, the hardships and the challenges of this life to lead you to God and his promises of protection and of eternal life? Or are you navigating this life all alone? Are you trusting in yourself for protection and refuge? The Bible tells us that God waits with open arms for you to turn to him. And he longs to gather you under his wing of protection, offering you eternal life, offering you purpose, offering you forgiveness, and offering you protection in this crazy world. Would you trust him and receive his forgiveness today? Would you ask your questions? Would you talk with someone about what it means to follow and trust him? My encouragement to you would be not to leave today, not to leave this morning without settling where your eternity is, without settling your faith. Come and talk with me. You can call me. You can talk with a friend that you know that is a follower of Jesus. Would you make sure that you know who your refuge, who your fortress, who your eternity rests in. I'm going to pray for us. As I pray for us, the the worship team, Joel and Melinda, are going to come and lead us in a final song. If you have questions about any of this or what it means to follow Jesus, please come and talk with me. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, for who you are. God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that although we may face, we will face trials, we will face difficulty, we will face heartache in this life. We can know that if we are a follower of you, you walk through it with us. And God, we thank you that in your infinite wisdom and power, you somehow use those difficulties for good in our lives and for your glory. God, we thank you that we have the promise of eternity. That we know that heaven is real. We live this life knowing heaven is real and that one day there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more heartache, no more fear, no more goodbyes, no more sadness. God, would you help that to become our reality? That we would walk through this life knowing this is not it. That's so hard in the day-to-day, but would you help us to live like that? So that we can give of this life for your glory and for, so that others might inherit eternal life. God, we pray that we would live our lives not for us, but that we would live our lives for you because of the promises you have promised us, because of the reality of heaven. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, anyone watching online that doesn't know you as your Lord and Savior, that doesn't have the assurance of eternity and that promise to walk through this life with, God, would you give them the courage to ask their questions, the courage to investigate who you are, the courage to surrender their life and make you Lord. Would you give them the courage to talk with someone today or this week that they find their hope in you and you alone. God, we thank you that eternity is real. We thank you that forgiveness is possible through your son. God, would you help us to live in that reality? It's your name we pray. Amen.